0: welcome to episode four of extend the chill podcast we are lucky enough to have good friend uh michael karsh with us uh michael how are you i'm great thanks for having me it's great to see you no it's 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 great to have you on i appreciate you taking the time and you know michael i guess it's been about 10 years Um, since we met, uh, mutual friend, Kenny Dichter, uh, introduced you to, uh, Juice Press, um, which Mm a client of mine, Mark Tasher, of the Yankees was involved in. We got Mm -hmm. to know each other a little bit. So over the course of the last 10 years, I've grown the friendship and certainly you have grown Juice Press, uh, exponentially and we'll get into that. But, uh, one of the interesting points I told you, extend the chill here. What we're doing is we're just trying to bring anxiety, you know, people's anxiety and stresses and how they, you know, make sure they have an outlet. I'm on, to re- I'm on the conference call. I'm sorry. And ha- how they kind of release the anxiety and stress. I mean, look at you here, you know, you're trying to do something, you got different response. It's, it's that kind of a day and that kind of a life for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, you and I have been talking about our kids a lot lately when we get together and um on the show here, we've been talking about youth sports and how the landscape's changed and how competitive it is. And I know my son with hockey, um, very competitive at a very early age. And I know your oldest, Sam, we talk about him, you know, he was a basketball guy. He had to be, he was a New York city kid. Um, and, uh, how the AAU experience was for you going through that process as he started to develop as a player and the stress in terms of, AAU ball, what coach you play for, you know, so if, and, and what kind of a sports dad you are, because I'm a quiet guy I stand in the corner. Don't talk to anybody mm. interested to see, you know, how you are at, at the games, but talk a little bit about the process. When st- you, you looked at Sam and like, you know what, he's developing, he's a player. Where should he play now? That type of thing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I started out by
1: saying that um, I, I, do feel like the suburban pressure is different than the urban pressure? At least our urban pressure. Um, Watch my friends. You know, I live in Manhattan, um, and I think while what I, the, the what my friends and I see is is that we're we're influenced more by like, is there an opportunity? to maybe playing in college. And that's the best hope would be to find something. And the sports are generally fairly limited by um, indoor, like by the nature of New York. So those are kind of the two variables, is less space, New York City, you know, Northeast weather, and um, trying to to do something in in college. And and as a fallback, at least your kids um, social, uh, their, their socialization and their happiness is driven by that. So like you said, you know, Sam, like a lot of New York City kids got driven towards hoops. Um, you know, we did the baseball thing early on. Uh, definitely that was driven by me and my own history of, of growing up and literally being such a big piece of my life. Mets um, or
0: Yankees, Michael? I don't even
1: know. Uh, both. I mean, you know, I'm a Long Island guy, so I was a Mets guy. And then um, eventually it was convened for me to be fair weather in the sense that my father and grandfather from the Bronx and they love the Yankees.
0: <laughs> so as the
1: Mets fell apart, uh, I we we transitioned. But, you know, baseball, I've definitely seen some success, especially some individual kids, more on. What I see in New York City is at the pitcher level, if it's going to be very few position players, but I see pitching and Sam never really, you know, was ready, you know, for pitching, you know, he tried, it was okay, but, and then um, in hoops, he loved it. It was really, I would say it, it's more, it was more for him, like um, a great way to be exposed to a new group of people and travel a bit. Um, it, you know, he, he had his ups and downs of, um, realizations of where his upside was and lack of upside, um, seeing kids, incredible kids from all over, uh, the Northeast. Um, I think overall that was a great experience. Um, and then ultimately though, um, it ended up being a great high school experience, but it was clear that it wasn't going to be his thing so you know for for me as a parent in terms of that you know i have my own i i do think like we all live to some extent based upon you know like i said baseball was driven by me uh hoops was driven by me um and he did like his i don't feel badly about that but um what stood now turned out is that the whole time we didn't realize but the things he's enjoyed the most, he just kind of fell upon late because of COVID, which was he played football for the first time this year, just walked on. And and um, because there was no season, really last season, and he was the leading receiver, and that led to him now running track. And, and uh, he just got um, invited yesterday to the uh, National Nike High School Championship in in argon based on his qualifying time in the hundred and um so who knew you know we we didn't we didn't realize this whole time and he never would have done winter's track because of hoops and now he really wants he's going to duke either way based on um academics and now he wants to try to walk on to duke and so i'm like running in a way from into anxiety it, there's no anxiety because we never thought this was anything we already have college um, and so now it's like, um, you know, working backwards and trying to find some support for him to try to continue his progress. But, um, it's, it's been, it's been really exciting to watch and I have a lot to say on the, on the parenting part of it, uh, and why I'm driven by it, but, uh I'm, I'll stop there for now.
0: No, well, I think, I think you hit on a good point. I think as parents, particularly, you know, me, when my kids you know, I played baseball myself and, um, I found that it took up a lot of my time. I still have great relationships from my high school baseball team. It was actually very funny. I was at a tournament hockey tournament with my son, Johnny. Um, he has a teammate. We've been playing together. Great parents. We've been very friendly. So, um, his dad says, yeah, my, uh, my brother's coming over to watch the game. His brother I ended up playing high school baseball with his brother at Power Memorial Academy at 64th. How sick is that? That's why I love New York, these stories. But um, I think as parents, I think you hit on the socialization part. Um, I All my kids got into sports and I loved it because it kept them busy. I mean, you want to keep them busy. And, you know, the the work ethic, obviously, everything that translates into becoming a successful human being, I think is involved in sports at a young age. I think where we've kind of gone off the rails yeah. and I say, we as you know, an industry industry, it is industry now, unfortunately, yeah. but at a young age, I think people and coaches and it's across the board in every sport they're put, they're, listen, the coaches, not, I'm not trying to denigrate coaches, but at the end of the day, they're salespeople, right? They want the best athletes. Mm-hmm. It's a business. And I think it gets too serious too early and I think when you were just talking about Sam, he's a high school senior now, right? Yeah. So like from a development standpoint, like I had a, a good friend and we talked about it in the last podcast. My son's teammates were signing, were going on Instagram at 14 years old saying I'm committed to Providence College, 14 years old playing hockey. like. And I called my buddy Dave, Dave Starman. I said, Dave, what the hell is this? He said, relax. If it's 16 and 17, he still loves the sport you'll figure it out. So I think the push to a younger age and more seriousness is really screwing everybody up. It's putting more pressure mm-hmm. on where should my kid play? What am I doing wrong? And yeah. really, I, I love the fact that Sam has now found another sport that he could get very serious with over the course yeah. of the next three to four years in college.
1: In, on his own terms, which is really right. nice. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, look, you step back and look at the college process, which I think, obviously, mathematically, for 99% of us or more, you know, that's best case scenario. And then you can parse it out within college. Did it help you with your acceptance? Did it help you get a scholarship? Did it help you get a job because you also have that on your resume after college? You know, with few exceptions. That's, you know, at least for my kids' school, you know, like school, that would be the case. You know, maybe, you know, the last time somebody played in the farm system in baseball was like eight years ago, and and that's of (laughs) any sport. So I I think we have to, for our our group of friends, I have to keep, you know, keep that in perspective. But the, what I just haven't gone through the college process and watched, like my son goes to, all my kids go to Riverdale or, you know, Riverdale Country School which which does have one of the best i will make an advertisement and say it might have the best track record in in all of new york in colleges in the last few years um, 125 kids 10 to go to duke uh seven to go to harvard um that's just a little sample of that's because you have
0: going. to run really fast through uh van cortlandt park
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, i'd like to say it's not that <laughs> tough of a school and and, and um and the reason I bring it up is I've seen all the angles um, being played, and what struck me is that for the Ivy League schools and for the, the really good small schools in the three I would the Tufts, like that that you know that group as you, you fully are aware of those school, schools schools, twenty five percent of the kids are filling an athletic spot in the school. That is enormous. That's crazy. I mean, think about how competitive it is to get into a school. To know that that's the percentage means that if when you go through all the considerations that they have right now—diversity, inclusion, and financial packages—you know—and balance of of genders and international students for twenty-five percent, no matter what, to be in those schools. So. The first early decision school that came out was Dartmouth. Now, Dartmouth is a smaller school than Harvard, but they have the same programs. So like 30% of all the kids fill a slot on the athletic program. So when you take it into consideration, it's a very big legacy school. And you think about the 30% and you think about all the other considerations, Riverdale got, I think we got two kids into Dartmouth, which is, was an achievement. But a lot of kids got blown out of the water there. And one of the two kids who got in uh, is rowing crew there. Um, and one of the kids in Sam's Duke group is running is swimming at, at Duke. And the kid who got into MIT from from uh, the only kid who got into MIT from our from our high school is playing soccer at MIT. None of these kids are gonna go pro right. and frankly none of them are getting any money. Um, but they got their dream, which was to get into their first choice, which for them was was gold.
0: Yeah, and 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 com- and continue to compete um on the and athletic field and in kids. the classroom, you know. Yeah. And I think yeah, I think that's important as well. But it, it's interesting because my my middle child Peyton, right? My, my, my or Peyton yeah. Yeah, Paige, my oldest Paige, she played soccer. Um, she, mm-hmm. she played soccer in high school. Very good, very competitive. Decided to play club soccer in college. Yeah. Had a great experience playing club soccer, which I highly recommend to anybody that wants to continue their athletic career. But Peyton, as a senior in high school, mm-hmm. she wasn't going to play lacrosse. She played in school. She was a good player. She ends up going up to um, Hobart Williams-Smith, good yep. academic school, um, yeah. Meet because the, the coach asked for her. She met with her, met with the coach. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, she comes out. She goes, "Dad, I got to go to that school. I want to play for that coach." It's amazing. And and so her experience now, and I'd be interested like to hear you. You know, you're the CEO yeah. of Juice Press. Yeah. Interestingly, now um she's in her senior year. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's won division championships. She's starting to get accolades. She was honorable mention All American this year. That's great. So like going into and she's going into finance mm-hmm. So going into that business such a competitive business when she goes in and puts that on her resume people yeah. take a look at that and say hey wow look at her yeah. resume in athletics she's competitive yeah. and that could translate to our business does that make sense oh absolutely i mean
1: um i definitely look at things like that on the resume and anybody who has a kid at the college age is aware that division three athletics has become like a division one commitment. Um, and and it's so it's like, all, anybody who's playing a college sport these days, it's a massive commitment and achievement to achieve good academics. But also, you know, employers are very cognizant of the attention deficit issues of the kids and which is justified, you know, that it's understandable that our society we have you know all my three kids are all different kind of learners um but my point is is that by the time you're employing it like it it's these days to have a long attention span um and have that discipline is something that's a bit of a, a lost art in in uh in in that generation um so to know that somebody has that focus and, and commitment um and is going to be determined and not think that you get a soccer trophy or lacrosse trophy for showing up you know it's it's a it's a big deal and and uh i will say i, I don't know if your daughter already committed to a job did she commit to a job already or
0: she's uh doing a uh an internship this summer at uh, right. what was that oh, sumimoto the japanese,
1: yeah, the japanese bank yeah, yeah. I, I will say that I you know because you know my history is in the finance industry so I still have ties to it. Um, there's never been more exciting jobs, well-paid jobs, for kids coming out of college in New York City than I can ever remember. It's it's a despite COVID, it, it, it's a golden age of uh, opportunity for for kids to be making great money and meet other great kids, we call them kids, but 22 through 26 year olds, I see it all the time. And, um, and so it's very exciting. Uh, my, my cousin, uh, pitched at Northwestern. He's now a coming on a second year out of Northwestern and living the dream in New York. You know, everybody's got like two roommates and they'll yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, they're still spending a lot of money on rent, but they love it. And it's just amazing the scope of people he's meeting and the opportunity set in front of them. So um, obviously, you know, the work from home thing is a different thing and requires a different discipline and it's becoming more hybrid. So I think it's it's very exciting. And I I do think uh, it's great that she's done all that. And I'm sure she'll be awarded for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's, she's uh, you know, you know, my wife, Lori, was ninth mm-hmm. in the world in CrossFit at 45. And nice. you know, I remember a time when Peyton, um, was 13 14 mm-hmm. and they were like this they they and mm-hmm. I was looking at them both and I'm saying you're exactly the same person you you you're driven i was trying to convince Lori like hey listen you guys are going to be best friends you're going to be I'm telling you and sure enough that competitive drive which got Lori again to to that level globally which is sick is sick. is what drives Peyton and uh I see it every day so it's great and um but but yeah. you know she's yeah. He's excited to to get to Manhattan this summer, do the internship, she she's gonna live with a couple of folks and uh and it's right. gonna be great. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on
1: mm-hmm. while I
0: have you is culture. You know, you know, whether it's yeah. sports, culture, you hear that a lot now, like Johnny's yeah. going to play junior hockey. You mm-hmm. know, they talk about him fitting into the culture. And, mm-hmm. you know, your story with Juice Press, you know, mm-hmm. now as a CEO originally as yeah. an investor and looking yeah. at the opportunity in a plant-based um world and where that was going and and made you dive in full-blown um yeah your culture that you've created you know with your retail locations i mean the retail story is ridiculous over 75 stores now but i called you the other day i called you yesterday because i went into the 32nd street store at juice press liberty i had to get a few drinks i needed ice because you know the bags if they threw ice in the bag it would leak right yeah your store was crazy crowded The girl at the register, Mikaela, I said, Mikaela, do you have some ice? Sure, I can get you ice. She didn't have anything to put it in, right? She took about four minutes to figure out how to pack ice and make sure that it didn't leak in my bag. And it was just, listen, I mean, you have to have a great product, right? But the culture you've created in terms of customer service at, at, at Juice Press Is really a difference maker to me. I mean, you go in any of your stores and your employees are engaged. They believe in what what you're what you're you're talking about in terms of plant based, they're knowledgeable. And you know, Michaela just blew me away. That little simple thing she did for me. I I was just like, I'm coming back.
1: You know what I mean? And I I think an example of that, and I'll back up and explain that, is the fact as soon as you wrote that, I immediately forwarded it to her, the area manager in charge of bunch of stores, including that one and the head of HR and the COO, because I wanted them to, you know, show her that, you know, the respect for doing that. Um, and and so, you know, that's part of it. But overall, you're right. I mean, probably my biggest personal change um, since, you know, I graduated business school 25 years ago. I was in the finance finance world for, you know, at least 18 of it um was you know culture didn't mean much um to me early on and um and that's because i worked for small firms finance firms hedge funds where personality was you know like hey you know you you get really well paid and we're mentoring you and so you deal with whatever aggressiveness there is like that's it's a blessing for you to be here and the truth is, is they were right. Um, whatever mentorship I got early on, uh, there was a I should I could have worked for free and it would have been worth it, you know. So they were correct. So I kind of, you know, I adopted that mentality to be honest, and and thought that that was the norm. Um, when I went into an operating role, and you realize that the team is a lot more diverse um the needs are different etc um it took me a while um to understand and i think there was a number of elements that went into that which reshaped my brain to realize that culture is so important um and and that i was looking at it the wrong way one is i just think in general that there's been such a body of work put into mindfulness and Mental health that didn't even exist, you know, ten years ago. I mean, just a different world in terms of the amount of thought that's gone into that. So it's just like it was like, we're probably still in the dark ages of a lot of the understanding of this. But by relatively speaking, we've come a long way, and I'm definitely influenced by that. Um, you know, I think I, clearly to me, um, you know, I I don't want to talk politics, but I will say, you know, I'm probably, you know from a New York perspective, because a pretty liberal place, you know, New York, I lean more center. Um, And so, you know, some of the things that came out of the far left have been disturbing to me. But, you know, I try to keep an open mind and see the good in what's being said. And um, I think that there are some truths that were said about Wall Street um, that made me want to be in a different capacity and contribute differently to the business world um, I was very influenced by the George floyd um, time because um, it was very positive in, in bringing our company together um, you know we, we definitely have a very diverse workforce and um, we did a lot you know it was it was during covid and there was a lot of town halls we did and um, And I felt totally, you know, to be totally straight about it, part of I felt great about in terms of like, um, I felt that uh, people were not saying that we weren't giving opportunities to everybody. People were saying in general that we need to listen better and people's, you know, wanted to be heard it wasn't about some of the other things, but it, the town halls brought that forward. And, you know, it, the, it was actually a very positive bonding experience to have those town halls and make people feel empowered that I was listening. And I felt the feedback was overall quite fair. And I and and I had the freedom to also push back on a few instances where people might have gone too far, um, and, and, you know, some other things like I just didn't, I never agreed with to fund the police. And, you know, I, I didn't want to give money to Black Lives Matter because I didn't know what actually was in there. I certainly believe in blacks, Black lives mattering, but it just the, um, so I, w- I had the freedom to stand up, but I also kept an open heart and open mind. And um, as you know, we, we come from, you know, you live close to where I grew up in Long Beach and I, I feel very connected to the diversity that Long Beach brought. And I felt during this period of time, it kind of reconnected me in a really good way and made me think about, you know, what they call like the stakeholders and that the stakeholders in our company are not just the investors, um, it's, it's the team members as well. Um, and, uh, and the customers of course but as long as and i had to figure out a way to bring that all together that still is unabashed in the desire to make money but is doing so in a way that is not on the backs of anybody else really thinking about the work experience <laughs> excuse me i've um, um and and keeping it keeping that balance healthier and and i really think we've accelerated through that and, we are really now seeing it um it's the little things but the consistency of those little things that made people happy um for example um giving people battle pay during covid or um always going in myself into many stores possible and asking about how people are doing and what can advice do they have and how are they actually feeling or or i'm wearing some kind of swag myself from juice press and they it and take off my back and just give it to them and like, you got to wear this sweatshirt, you know? Um, and, and also the most important thing is like learning their job. as well as They know it. So then I can make it as attractive to them as possible. Um, you know, so like, so that I wasn't just like thinking of new ways to make money and then just putting more and more work on their backs being very cognizant about how to make that job the easiest possible. Um, And then like even things like tipping, you know, I had a balance between the customers um, and the needs of the workers. And, you know, I I felt awkward about people coming to the store every day and feeling that they have to tip. And at the same time, I understood how important that was to our team members. So I did little things like, you know, instead of like necessarily putting percentages in there, just write like one dollar, two dollar, three dollars. So maybe it's less imposing, you know, that if it's dollar, you know, that that somebody might say, yeah, I'll give somebody a dollar, you know, like versus like feeling like it's like a restaurant you have to give 20% just to buy something. So it's these kinds of things. And now we're really seeing it in our recruiting and going back to athletics, you know, I I definitely talked to Sam about a lot about like what are you doing to be a good team member. And that's an intricate thought process because, you know, to some extent you're just part of the team. And to some extent, if you're a captain, you're, you're kind of helping be the CEO, but ultimately the manager is the CEO or the coach. And how do you navigate that?
0: Well, that, that's interesting because I was going to bring that up, you know, how it relates to your managers across your stores, yeah. um, being the coach in essence. Right. And, and you know, you're the owner of the team but they're the the coach and they have to espouse those values that you instill in them and I think Mm -hmm. listen all anybody wants to do is is be heard so you talk about listening like listening is an undervalued asset you know if if somebody has a complaint I would imagine um within your organization and they voice that complaint and they don't get a response that's Mm -hmm. frustrating and you know that raises their stress level and so I think I think it's right on point. Um, and like I said, uh, from my experience in various locations over at Juice Press, you really have, have the pulse of your worker. And I think it just makes for a better consumer experience. And at the end of the day, it's such a competitive market. Um, you being at the top, uh, you still want to stay at the top. So that experience, um, is, is invaluable. Um, another question, like when, when you were in the midst of your finance career over at like say, Carsh Capital. I read mm-hmm. somewhere where you were talking about um, everyday report card. You know what I mean. And yeah. and that's got to be stressful at industry and yeah. having to perform. And what was your outlet back then in terms of, you know, you have a family at home, you have, mm-hmm. you know, the stress of 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 you know the returns every year that that you gave yeah. your your customers. What did, did, you, did you went for a run? You hit the gym or? you know i, I, mean, I did it
1: but but the truth is is that i i mistakenly thought that um i could just eat pressure every day i used to kind of say that like that's my advantage i can eat pressure it's it's other people it bothers it doesn't bother me um and, and in fairness i kept it up for you know almost 20 years uh and at the same time i was wrong you know, because, um, I didn't have the desire to do it another 10 years. And it was still, I walked away from an amazing money machine in that way. Um, so obviously it did bother me. I just wasn't acknowledging it. Um, I think it's a bigger thing. Like the biggest realization I have, um, and I've, I've actually talked to several people recently about this and and kind of being a coach. And I talked to Sam about this, but you know, in a strange you remember you remember because you I think you actually met him. Do you remember our Bulgarian um partner? Yeah, yeah that's yeah,
0: sure.
1: probiotic. Probiotic. So our partner in the creation of probiotic, um, in a crazy set of circumstances, um, became the prime is the prime minister of Bulgaria now. Wow. Yeah. So you can look him up, Kirill Petkov. You met him in our office. Yeah. Um, I hired him while he was at Harvard Business School and he, he and I did a number of deals and then he became the head of probiotic and became the head of Ministry of Finance of, and then got elected the government, which when you think about the timing of that, um, he became the prime minister uh, January 1st of this year wow. and as a member of NATO and the EU and was had his gas cut off by russia um with the same day as poland had theirs cut off so Kirill has been you know going through a tremendous amount um and what i learned was i went to visit him in dc um recently and what i learned is even somebody in that position running seven million people you know that he's still like like I said, even Tiger Woods needs a swing coach, you know? He's he still, yeah. <laughs> even when you're in charge of 7 million people, you still need a swing coach. And and what I said to him, my observation is, and I'm still working on this, but I, I feel this is, I still like the way it sounds to me is people have, people are inherently defensive animals. Like we're, we're, we're defensive. And that is a, that is a function of, our our desire to see ourselves in a perfect light and no matter what our actual performance is and there's kind of two parts of that but that problem is is that defensiveness it's a seek it's a positive because it keeps us going without melting but it prevents us from growing as people and you know, you sort of, the way I look at is, is two parts of your brain. You've got this big, big thing, this gobbledygook of millions of experiences in your life, your genetics, your and your parents, and your childhood, and relationships, and successes, and failures. And that thing is like so strong and fully formed, but it's not necessarily logical. In fact, all of us, the logic built into it based on all of that stuff. And then we have another part of us, which is what I was saying, which is like fight or flight. You know, we kind of just tell ourselves like, oh, we'll be okay either way or, you know, or like, I don't care, but you do care, right? So like what I said is like, I eat pressure for a living, you know, like, you know, so what I see is that the the value of a great team or great coach or mentor is somebody who can look at you because we all can see everybody else's problems than they're our own easier <laughs> than than our own right so to get somebody to stand outside of that and look at it and say okay here's what like an irrational experienced person would say is in that gobbledygook is what you're you're kind of missing and here's what most people would think and and here's kind of like your defense mechanism. And, and so you have, you're, you're impeded by your fight or flight and you're impeded by all these experiences. So what that could be is like, you know, you could say, for example, like, um, I don't, I don't care anymore if I don't play lacrosse in college, like, you know, after all your friends got recruited at 14 and, you right. know, you're still sitting there. I, I don't even want to play anymore. And you start okay. actually believing that, but that, that's kind of healthy because it's, protecting you from melting, but it's terribly inefficient and not good overall. Or maybe you kind of grew up around a family that quitting was okay. And so you just, the, bad, the, the the messy part of you and somebody outside of you. But, but what I learned is like, you need to actually have some, you actually have to yourself be ready for that and, and encourage people to want to give you that then you have to find the right teammate coach mentor parent to give you that and then you're going to grow a lot but most people when you start showing them where they're wrong in that messiness they attack you right and so what i'm saying about my friend the prime minister is he came to me and he was like you gotta talk to me because I can't. It's like I got so much in my head. This has been a crazy whirlwind. I've got it's nuts. What's going for, through my head in terms of that? Just you've known me for a long time. Tell me where am I? Where where am I not thinking about this rationally? And and it really helped. Not because I was so good at it, but but because he was ready for that. And um, going. And back you were to, an, you were an outside yeah. voice
0: too, like you, you. I was an outside a voice, trusted, a trusted outside, outside voice. voice. Right. Exactly.
1: And 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 that made all the difference. That was Sam going back to what we talk about is because I know Sam is certainly not going to be a professional, um, and he's achieved his college. Like what I see is a couple things for Sam and what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, one is he's a he's an awesome generalist, Sam. He's never, and he's young, so I want to be careful. Today's is actually his eighteenth birthday, but
0: nice.
1: the goal now is to figure out how to get him to be like ready to um, be, learn how to be a specialist. And and that's what I love about track is from here, every ten point ten point one second matters. So right now it's all technique. And I would say people see things in one dimensional, two, three, and every so often somebody sees it at four. Um, Or I say like somebody plays tic-tac-toe, checkers or chess. And I want him to start, I believe you could only start seeing those things, also known as like seeing around the corner by getting into that last, last details. And so that's what I want out of him when he's ready for it. The great thing is that track because he hasn't have any formal education in it yet. He's gonna, he's getting that perfect transition from using his instincts to learning to be a scientist in order to find those, those, whether that's reshaping part of his body or it's, you know, figuring out the right footwork or whatever it is. And I love that because. I told him over time it's great to be a great generalist but he will see that there'll be people who may not be as good of a generalist as him but they're obsessed with the details of certain things because they're so passionate about it but also understand that and those people will outdistance him in whatever he chooses unless he's committed to that so that's what we want to really get out of athletics for sam the second part is i love the fact that at Duke, if he's fortunate enough to walk on to that, is the kids who are running sprints there and the track team is just a different group of kids that he's hung out with um, at school and in the private schools of New York. And so the ability to, you know, because you're going to these schools and like like literally Duke, he'll walk in knowing and this is true more and more of social, like social media and, you know, the way kids are these days compared to when we went to college. Like I knew, you know, it was like I, I knew one kid from my high school and then like you knew maybe a kid from camp or something. And then it was like maybe your parents might have known somebody. These kids walk in knowing, but they're the same kids right. you know, overall. So for like the fact is I was really, I hoped he was either going to debate at Duke or something like that. He just find a new group. But I'm really excited for him to be part, hopefully, of a track team. Um, and and uh, that would be, to me, just an amazing uh, rounding of his social experience at, at school.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the great thing, you showed me some video of him running. I, I think that he's so raw. I mean, listen, anything we do in terms of an experience or competitive, we want to see measurable results, right? So I think yeah. he's so raw that I think, you know, when you talk about specialists, he's going to get with somebody that's going to take a 10th off his time and he's going to be like, whoa, really? And I think he's just going to dive in and say, how do I take another 10th off? Because, yeah. you know, it's great to be at his age to have the mental capacity to understand as opposed to being, you know, seven years old and, you know, somebody telling him do this and he has no, you know, he's over here yeah. doing that talking to kids, but now he's 17. And if if he wants to 18 today, and if he wants to actually take that instruction yeah. You know, that's something where you talk about specialists, he will be very, very motivated, I think, yeah. uh, once he starts do yeah, that.
1: Definitely. And and if you look at Juice Press, you know, because when you're creating something from scratch uh, in some way, you know, there is a healthy balance between borrowing practices that have already worked and being a scientist and experimenting and just figuring out yourself what is a way of bending the curve of, whatever capabilities you have you know meaning you know juice press got crushed from covid in terms of like just the traffic in the stores people willing to go to gyms and stuff like that we had to figure out how to compensate for that using the internal capabilities we had which turned out to be the ability to source product make product distribute product hundreds of thousands of relationships of emails and phone numbers without customers, take that and leverage it into an alternative revenue stream or, or multiple alternative revenue streams to offset the 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 calamity of COVID, you know, that learning about that is probably not that different than you know somebody's learning to ski 100 miles an hour downhill and figuring out when they hit an edge like how do you think about how to pivot off like to to make that work and not just wipe out um and so you know that only comes from those intricate details and 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 uh reps and stuff like that so i'm super excited for super excited for him to continue his growth in that way um so yeah
0: yeah and sports is a vehicle for life is just, you know, I mean, listen, if kids aren't interested, you can't push them and force them into it. There's other things they can do, but I just yeah, think totally. sports in general is a great tool um, to advance. That makes it yeah. easy for me though, because, because I don't, because we never had
1: that, um, the drive in that way, but right. I have a we have the drive for him like to be a professional, you know, like a, a in terms of professional business person or lawyer or something right. like that. You know, I always say to him, like, I'm only telling you this especially it was, like basketball. I would tell him like, you know, because I was like, he was his shooting form. I was surprised he couldn't replicate what I thought he could replicate. And I was like, you know, for a smart guy, like you're not like using the same process at the free throw line that every Correct. good athlete would be using. And it's like. I'm only telling you this, but I don't care about your free throw. I I don't think you're going anywhere with this hoops other than you should enjoy it. But like if you can't like learn like see, watch tape and see that and then be committed to improving it and caring enough about your team to make that work because it will help them in in terms of a higher free throw percentage and what the value of replication and it being science not just like in hoops, like acting like what you see on a Nike commercial, just like the coolest factor, Right. like then that is gonna bode poorly for you professionally. So you gotta think about the overlap there and, the, and also like the continuous improvement and the dedication to that and dedication to caring about others. So it makes it a lot easier to have those conversations. I think, at least in my case, when I was always saying, I don't really care about your actual game. It doesn't matter to me. And seeing in that broader context, it kind of almost made it like I was giving him advice on a third person basis, which diffused a lot of our potential uh, conflict with each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to get that message across. I remember, I remember Johnny might've been 10 and or nine, maybe, maybe nine, 10 (laughs) and He asked me, he said, dad, he goes, "Uh, there was a, there was a two on one, you know, he's playing hockey. There was a two on one and there was a couple. And on the third one, he passed it. Right. The pass got broken up on the first two. I think he might've scored. And he's like, dad, I just felt like I had to pass the puck because the other two, I took the shot. And I said, and I think it was either Gretzky or Messier. I took it from them. I read one of their books and it said, Always make the right hockey play. I said, Johnny, if you come down ten times on a two on one and the right hockey play is taking the shot, take the shot ten times. If the right hockey play is passed, pass ten times. And I think, you know, that's the same in life. It's like just do the right thing. Like just in a situation, like make the right play. And I think that's that's the best message we can get. I
1: I one thousand percent agree we actually talk about I mean, we, we call it in business or whatever, like expected outcome, like the best investors, the best business people, everything is an expected outcome. Meaning if I said to you, you know, I have a million dollars and I'm gonna flip a coin. If, if, if you get it right, I'm gonna give you a million a million dollars. If you get it wrong, um let me get let me get this the right way 50. so it's 50-50 probability so if you get it if you get it if you get it right you get a million bucks if you lose you have to give me a hundred thousand dollars and and so the question is would you be willing to do that and but bottom line is like all that matters is the probability it's 50-50 you know and you would say no that's not good because if because i'm my probability of outcome is i'm going to lose um well you would actually sorry you would you would do that but it depends on if you have a hundred thousand dollars or not but but the point is is that all you're saying is in the end or like it's all probability like like there's a three-point shot that's open what's the probability of you hitting that three-pointer given your percentages and given where you're standing relative to the guarding versus if you pass it and he and i had those same conversations numerous times and you know frankly we had a lot of it, it, hoops again it's like a light touch thing for him because it was and it was awkward because he always saw himself as a guard but the truth is he and I had had the first half of the year like he's 6'2 and he's a guard and it was like his three point shooting was at best average on his team and so he would be frustrated the ball wasn't being you know Flipped over to it. I'm like, the guy who you wanted to pass to you has a higher three point probability than you. So right, why right. would he throw? Other than to be a nice guy, why would he? Or to keep his guy honest, why would he? He should be shooting it. Like so, it's the opposite. Like I, I had to tell him a little bit of a
0: right. A right.
1: Also, I was like if I were him, and I was, and I was a coach. I would say he should be shooting it every time, and I don't mean that I love you to death, but that's that's okay. It's good. Keep you got to take learned. the
0: emo- you got to take the emotion out of it. You know what I mean. And
1: actually, what happened was in the back half of the season, you know, he did what he should have been doing, which is even though he's only six two, he jumps like you know he is. You know he like throws down with two hands without without dribbling. He plays like he's six five, six six, and they have no guys on the team who're six five, six six. And once he made that adjustment and stopped shooting three pointers and only played down low, the whole team changed because, because the same guy was shooting the three pointers with a higher probability. And all of a sudden his shooting percentage more than doubled and the amount of rebounds in the team. And then the team went from not winning to going deep into the playoffs. And even though, again, there was no consequence because it's nothing other than nice memories for him, honestly, his. You know, like not taking those threes and telling him that was a better, a much better outcome for him and a learning experience and for everybody. And that's what that's exactly what you're saying. Um, and I always say I say something similar, like, you know, like if if the ball, if if you're down six points and you don't shoot the ball, like then you may as well not be in the game. Like there's a lot of guys who don't want to shoot the ball, even when it's down six, because they'd rather they'd rather look smart than win, or they'd rather look not embarrass themselves than win because well, I didn't shoot it, you know, no one can blame me for missing it. And it's a very suboptimal way of thinking, and that's true of investing, of management. But I think going back to culture though, is if you don't where and I think this is where maybe your son is mixing up culture and those probabilities is if you show graciousness off the ice or explain yourself, you may get a very different reaction to that guy. Meaning if you said afterward, after you, let's say you did it three times, two ways. And unfortunately, most people are one way or the other, right? You could either be the person who shoots three times. A lot of times that guy is like just built like John Starks, like two for 19. And right. just still shooting and whatever, <laughs>
0: right.
1: and then there's the other guy who just like too nice, you know, like they say the, about the, you know, the guy who was unbelievable in tenth, twelfth grade in basketball, and you ask college coaches like, oh, is this guy going to Kentucky? And they're like, no. The the great thing about him is that he still takes the bus to school. The problem with him is he still takes the bus to school. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't know enough to be driving a Range Rover in twelfth grade. You know, like he's just not ballsy enough to be in the NBA. So, you know, the same thing here, it's like you have to learn to create the right words of graciousness at the right time to make somebody feel like listen to, just same thing, right? Like, hey, listen, you know, here's why I did what I did. I want you to know if I thought there was a high probability, you know, I would have passed it and and I think you're great. You know, like that goes so far, it just goes so far. And there's a difference between listening And nice guys finishing last. And I think it's a hard balance, but I think that's an example. Like if you can teach your kid the value and the distinction between those things, it's invaluable. And you're going to go so far in life if you can balance those two things.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely believe that as well. And like you said, it's a process, right? Because you just, you know, you want to be liked, like especially at a young age going through sports. Everybody wants to be liked. Um, So you want to do the right thing by others. Yeah. Um, but you also have to look at, you know, that talent. Like, so Sam, when he made that adjustment and went down low, right, you, you know, yeah. you say no consequence, um, but obviously um, the learning experience of doing that and helping the team, that's going to help them in later in life on on how to adjust, right? Yeah. And how to make adjustments to not only have themselves succeed, but have the team succeed. So um, totally. yeah, I think it's a great conversation. I think one thing I want to say is, you know, I think uh, kudos to you for in your business, you were talking about, you know, for those 18 years, how, you know, you were like, hey, you know, I I, I didn't really take care of myself in terms of, you know, taking time and making sure that, you know, the, the stress level, you thought you could eat it, right? And there you kind of phased out of that business. And whether it's ironically or whether it was meant to be, you got in a business Um that is uh, obviously health orientated in terms of physical health. Um, And I think that aligns very much with mental health. I think, you know, just from my background and living, you know, in the family with my wife that I do is very uh, not competitive athlete anymore, but she was, I think fitness eating, right. I think it's all tied into mental health. So, you know, now, and that you weren't a younger guy, like, I mean, I think guys in your industry, they do it for so long. They do it for 15 18 years. And even if they have a thought that, you know what, I got to change my lifestyle here. You know, financially, I may be set. Um, I have no worries there, but really my health is not great. Um, my relationships, because I commit so much time that my business may not be great. I really have to pivot and I don't think enough of guys in their mid forties pivot to make themselves do things that are just as successful or maybe a little less successful but allow them to enjoy their life, enjoy their mental health and get fit. Cause I think it's all tied together. So I'll give you the last word on that and then let you go. Thank you. Um,
1: Oh, I I believe that um, continuous learning is a um, tremendous um, form of optimism. And so I I believe that it, it keeps me optimistic and young you know, despite my gray hair that I feel like I'm, I'm still growing intellectually, emotionally, um, as manager so much still, and I never want to lose that feeling. Number one, number two, technology is changing society so fast. It's only going to compound on itself. And so if you don't um continue to grow and learn the probability of you being a, outdated and a dinosaur which is not a fun place to be is is high very high almost insured and then the last part of that is even though covid and a lot of mixed outcomes of of people's life expectancies we should all prepare for the possibility that we are going to live into our 90s and hopefully even 100. And when you look at it that way, you can't be willing in your 40s to be done um, because that's just a long time to sit in Boca, you know, <laughs> you can't do that. So, so you got to keep reinventing yourself. And the good news is, I think there's lots of different ways to reinvent yourself right now relative to history.
0: Uh I absolutely agree. And, uh, here's to the middle age, uh, transformation. Um, I appreciate you coming on, Michael. I think it was Thanks, a great pal. conversation. Yeah, a lot of people, you. a lot of people benefited from this and, uh, nice you know, I'll, you. I'll definitely see you soon. Uh, in the city. maybe we'll grab some dinner. Thanks for coming I on. That. All right. take All care. Man, Talk All to right. you later.